Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV pilot's license, flight number 22, with service to New York, New York, a.k.a. John Mulaney's apartment. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember that if you are uneasy on flights and need a Xanax, may we suggest being honest with your doctor and not lying about your hypothetical prostate issues? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the TV Pilot's License. My name is... Jeff Purvis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today? Oh, it that only was... took us 22 episodes to get sued. <laughs> uh, that was gold, Jeff, gold. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, uh, you got you got moxie, kid. <laughs> yeah, I you know I had to make sure um, this is a little peek behind the scenes. Usually, Rich is the one that cracks and makes me have to re-record <laughs> these things. So I had to share with Rich before Max got on to the Zoom. Yeah, I got we were prime. Have, yeah. He got primed for sure. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today we're doing the, I feel like when you say you're going to do some failed pilots, uh, failed TV shows, this show comes to mind because we are doing Mulaney, uh, John Mm. Mulaney's failed, spoiler alert, uh, TV show that (laughs) aired on Fox. But for those who might be joining us for the first time, have no idea what we're all about, Max Can you give them a little bit of a clue? You got it, Jeff. So here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of television's most famous, or in today's case, infamous, pilot episodes. We figure out how these shows came to be and how they got greenlit. We'll give you some background info on the cast and creators. We figure out if they're effective pilots and making us want to watch more, if they could be made today, and so on and so forth. We've got all sorts of great episodes wherever you get your podcasts, so go back, give a listen to some shows you may know, Give a listen to something you may not be familiar with, and if it's your first time flying, welcome aboard. And Rich, you normally bring something a little bit extra. What is Rich's question of the week? Yeah, uh, I am super curious to find out if, you know, obviously we are, let's preface this all by saying we are big John Mulaney fans. I think that I could say that pretty pretty handily uh, for, for all of us. Uh, we all basically discovered him kind of at the same time, me through Max, Um his uh his salt and pepper diner bit one of his first like comedy albums that came out like after like once he started working at saturday night live um it, he has been pretty ubiquitous and extremely a-list in the stand-up comedy scene for quite a while so i wanted to know since they rightfully gave Mulaney a shot to have his own show who in the comedy world right now would you want to have get their own show that doesn't currently have a show Oh my God, what a great question. Because there's, I hate to say that a lot of folks have been given their comedy specials who had a shot, but um, I'm going to go with someone that I think is doing a really amazing work right now, and that's Taylor Tomlinson. Um, I think she is a great I don't, I don't want to say a fresh voice for comedy. She's the needed and necessary voice for comedy. I know she has a gigantic tour going on right now. She is a delight to see uh, live. And I think that she could bring something special if she had the right writer's room. Because she's just super damn talented. What oh, about you, that. Max? 
Me. <laughs> Give. <laughs> guys, Give. guys, this is the president of NBC. <laughs> I have some special news for Max. <laughs> well, no, You're not Max, yeah? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh I mean, look, you got you got to try. If if you don't if you don't throw it out there, you, you the answer is always no. Um no, what what I really like right now in the comedy landscape is that it feels like there are certain shows being made that have these really like hyper specific voices behind them that they they feel like these jokes going to be crafted by one person Mm -hmm. um a show in that regard that kind of comes to mind for me is the other two which is currently at hbo max we're starting at comedy central and a comic who i really like and enjoy who I think just writes in such like a one of one voice. I'd love to see what they did like with their own solo platform uh, is a writer and comic by the name of Demi Adijuibe. Um, He's been a writer over at Corden, uh, Amber Ruffin show. Uh, those on the internet may know him from his Earthwooded Fire September videos every year, <laughs> but uh, having followed him like since his Vine days, he just has such a, unique sharp perspective i think he's a really great joke writer and i would love to see him orchestrate like a variety show on his own something maybe akin to what uh today's subject went on to do a few years later with the sack lunch bunch um so debbie i i hope you get a shot to to do something just for you and uh i don't know let let me know if you need a coffee (laughs) i believe demi also was um a writer on the good place so also a writer on the good place so like bringing it back to the podcast rich i feel like you since you've stewed with this question all day what's your answer yeah i've got two actually and they're they each have their own unique uh story their own unique uh bit of experience to to showcase both of them are from the south um which i think would be fascinating but um number one would be roy wood jr who is currently poised to take over the daily show uh, among a number of other comedians that they're casting for that but he's been on the daily show for a minute roy is one of the most natural joke tellers and stand-ups that i've ever seen perform live i had an extreme pleasure to see him perform um at a comedy uh at a comedy theater that I used to perform at at midnight on a Sunday when he was just doing new material for a crowd of maybe 12 people, just like working on stuff that he was going to bring to the cellar. It was extremely cool seeing him come up with jokes on the fly, different little ad libs and stuff like that were, was like masterful. I very rarely get to see people of that caliber, not in like a very high stakes, very like giant location. And what he was bringing was not polished, but it still felt polished. Um, The other person that I would say is a comedian by the name of Jay Jordan. He is currently Mm -hmm. a writer for The Problem with Jon Stewart. He also gets uh, some airtime in panels with them. But he has an incredibly unique and and funny voice, like really expert joke writing. Also, jokes that kind of feel clean, but border on dirty, which I think is a of like, a very fascinating like sphere to live in. And I think that he would do exceptional getting a show of his own. Uh, and Jay, if you need a coffee guy, uh, Max and Max and I are here. I I also want to throw out one more. I want Ron Funches in more stuff and I Ooh, want him yeah. in more stuff by himself yeah. because he is a great, like 
you know, wingman character, but he is just so talented and he just needs to be in a ton more. Uh, Absolutely. Had to throw that in. Well, Rich, that's an awesome question. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about a show that we're not as excited about. Uh, no. And that is Mulaney. <laughs> uh, and let's start off with the synopsis. Uh, John's desire to be a good person challenges his friendship with his roommates, Jane and Motif. That doesn't sound even remotely accurate to what we just yeah, watched. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know, I would say that has nothing to do with what we just watched, but I have a feeling Max is going to explain how we got to where we got. Max? Yeah, this is, this is going to be a, it's going to take some turns. It's going to, it's going to go up and down and back around. Uh, we're we're going to go all over, all over town with this one, boys. Uh, so today we are talking about the pilot episode of Mulaney, uh, also referred to as Mo Lady, Mo Problems. Um, already off to already off to a great start, uh, which aired on October fifth, two thousand fourteen, on Fox, uh, and it is in fact created by John Mulaney himself. This pilot is written by John, uh, so we all know him nowadays, uh, but. Taking it back a little bit, Mulaney began as a stand-up and a talking head on VH1's Best Week Ever. Um, After appearing on Conan O'Brien, he gets to audition for Saturday Night Live in 2008. Uh, He doesn't make it as a cast member, but he does get hired as a writer, and he stays on there for multiple years. Uh, He actually wins an Emmy during his time at SNL for Outstanding Lyrics uh, for a monologue song that he wrote for Justin Timberlake. He also releases his first two comedy specials, The Top Part and New in Town. Uh, So he gets a pilot deal with NBC in January of 2013. We're going to skip ahead a little bit here. And it's described in press as being this sort of semi-autobiographical sitcom, which he very intentionally wanted to do as an uncool multicam show. Uh, Mulaney takes a lot of inspiration from 80s and 90s sitcoms and then even harkening back to like radio plays in Abbott and Costello he loves these uh live studio audience things and especially like Abbott and Costello he says he's very inspired by shows and material that has these like really loop around premises where they then blow up the joke basically taking a long way to get to like nothing at the end Mm -hmm. and he very much wants to do that for his own show uh, this is going to be like a hallmark of Mulaney's for years. Uh, this is something that we're going to see him do with documentary now, particularly the episode of Co-op where he plays Stephen Sondheim. Oh, uh, we're going to see him show. do it. I mentioned already, but with the sack lunch bunch where he plays off of like the electric company and Sesame street, when he hones in on a thing that he's inspired by, he like really hones in on it. Uh, so much so that he actually gets uh, esteemed Seinfeld director, Andy Ackerman, to do this pilot. Ackerman did about 89 episodes of Seinfeld in its middle years when the show's at its peak. So he's really leaning into like, how do I make this multicam? The show gets filmed before a live studio audience at NBC. And I will say, because it's at Fox, but we watch this, it's very different. Um, uh, The cast is somewhat the same, somewhat different. Zach Perlman's character of Andre is not in the NBC version. Uh, Instead, there is a roommate played by Griffin Newman named Seymour. 
uh, motif is a part of it, uh, but he is more just like a club comic and less of a main role. Uh, I, I would say it's probably like 60-40 what's in there, what's not. I'll get back to that, though. So NBC passes in a very surprise decision at the time. Um, and it, it's like kind of like a shock through the system. There's a lot of people at like Splitsider and Vulture who were like, hey, we were at this taping and we don't know why NBC's passing on this. Like this killed at its taping. What gives? But whatever, he's going to figure it out. Um, there's actually a lot of talk at this point that NBC is going to just try and keep him in house and make him the weekend update anchor with Seth Meyers expected to take late night, uh, when Jimmy Fallon transfers to the night show that didn't come to fruition, obviously. So in October of 2013, Fox decides they want to option this pilot and retool it. And a lot of this is centered around a Fox executive named Kevin Riley, who has basically said in interviews that he was less interested in like the pilot itself but was a huge admirer of Mulaney's and so he's the one who wants to loosen the whole thing up mm. and he's the one who wants to implement adding in a lot of Mulaney stand-up to introduce his comedy to a wider audience keep in mind Mulaney's only 31 at this point yeah. he's got two specials he's an SNL guy uh he's probably not a comic who's appealing to like the broad demographics of that like you know middle-aged people who are watching Fox sitcoms. So they're like, we're just going to recycle this bits. We're going to play the hits and we're going to hope this gets a good show. Uh, Riley, even at upfronts to promote it says that uh, this show is Seinfeld for a new generation. That's so not he's, the last time we'll be mentioning Seinfeld. He's <laughs> really leaning into that angle. Um, I do also want to go back because I found the original NBC script. Doesn't I really want to read. I would say here's a few big differences. So one is it's a lot more autobiographical. Uh, Martin Short's character of Lou is still John's boss, but it's already established as his boss. And a lot of the pilot at NBC centers around John's realization of if I'm going to make it in comedy, I need to get sober. And it plays with more of Mulaney's history. Whoa. Um, I would say the jokes are a little broader um mm -hmm. there there is some Mulaney stand-up in there uh you do see him doing a routine of his on stage at one point but it, it's peppered in it's light it is not as heavy-handed as we'll get into in this pilot now yeah. do I, um, I i have to ask is he yeah. doing stand-up in front of a blacked out set tv set as <laughs> he is doing in this show it, it appears in the nbc pilot there is just a scene in which we see his character performing stand-up okay. and he does a, a bit of his in there but it's like it's honed in on him just doing stand-up versus the seinfeld like cold open stand-up i'm also curious and i want to get your feedback on this because Malady doesn't talk a ton about this show and when he does talk about this pilot he talks about a really positive light about how great Kevin Riley and Fox were to him, about how proud he was of the experience, how proud he was of his cast and his writers, you know, very yeah. uh, studio language. He's very kind about the whole thing. But there's one interview I found where he talks about the biggest difference between NBC to Fox being that they loosened it up and they made the whole thing less silly. And when mm. he says silly, he refers to things like an amnesia plotline, and literal sharks. Now, the 
original NBC pilot also begins with uh, like late night infomercial characters talking to John Mulaney. And what I'm getting here, and I can't confirm this, this is speculation. I'm getting the opinion that the original Mulaney pitch was this like multicam sitcom fever dream that just took all of the most absurd aspects from shows, some of which we've covered, and honed in on them for a modern audience. And I know we're going to talk about the Fox pilot. I want to see the Mulaney multicam yeah. fever dream show. So Me too. It, it almost sounds a lot like Lucky Louie, if um, y'all are familiar with that yeah. at all. That was mm-hmm. like Louis C.K. had that show. And there are people who absolutely fell in love with Lucky Louie and how it just was basically like... It, a joke on the concept of the multicam and like the great American family in many uh, senses. Like I, 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 I know we haven't even talked about the pilot, but I would be so interested because there has to be a tape, right. Of the original pilot. I would pay a lot of money to watch that tape to see what it was because also we have to think back to like 2013, 2014 NBC at the time yeah. and the shows that they were sort of thriving on. This would be a real big pivot for them uh, in a time where they needed to be successful. Well, I just happened to have the president of NBC on the line. And uh, <laughs> how much? You said a lot of money, Jeff. How much money are we talking? Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So here. So this, to me, sounds far more interesting than what we got. Um, I love that he wanted to kind of break the the framework of a multicam sitcom. And I think with NBC coming off the coming hot off the heels of like community, which is basically we're gonna make every single episode an homage, a parody of a certain movie, a certain type of movie, I think they definitely had space to do that. And I unfortunately think, you know, based on what you said regarding the, what NBC wanted him for originally, they wanted him to be the weekend update host. I, maybe he just didn't want that. Maybe he didn't want to have that direction for his career. I really think that he got very, I think he got like put aside by NBC. He was, he had to deal with the mechanism basically of network TV and what ended up happening is that they got, I mean, it got the Fox treatment. It got, it's basically New Girl, but the people don't, the people on the cast don't have, like, as, they're not as redeeming. They're not as socially redeeming as people. And it would be a lot funnier to see those same characters just like, I don't know, with an extremely wacky plot lines. Well, uh, well, boys, what do you think we, uh, what do you think we start talking about those, those unredeemable characters that Rich mentioned? <laughs> I do, I do want to, before we start, I do want to say one more thing, because I remember 2014 very specifically for NBC, and I was trying to go back in my mind of, like, what were the comedies on NBC in 2014, and I couldn't remember any, and the reason why I couldn't remember any is because, if you guys remember, like, when we were in high school, back in, like, the mid-2000s onward, Thursdays was Thursday was NBC's comedy night. You had mm-hmm. the office, you had Parks and Rec. That was really a uh, mainstay. In 2014, 
NBC basically said, we're done with doing comedies because we can't find a good one to do anymore. Looking at like their primetime slot, the only one that was very much there was they had Tuesday, they had Marry Me and About a Boy. Both of those lasted less than a season, yeah. right? So it was, this may have been NBC saying, hey, we don't want to pick this up, John. Or it might have also been an executive being like, we do Saturday Night Live, and that's really all we do as far as investing in comedy. Um, but let's talk about how this ended up on Fox and what happened with it. Um, and we open with John Mulaney doing a stand-up set in front of the set, the apartment set for the TV show, uh, yeah, all in choice. black. Um, the thing that, like, one, this bit of him running after the woman, like, it's a great bit if you have not heard it before. I recommend watching one of his stand-up specials to do it. Uh, but the thing that I automatically sort of set me off is, did y'all notice there were filler laughs put into the set um, because you could tell the audience wasn't laughing enough because they ADR'd them in? which was really, really, really upsetting for me at the time. Uh, um, but how, did, a, how could you tell the difference? Um, you can tell. So fun fact, you guys, I worked in production for a small period of time, but it was sports production. So you learn enough about audio, uh, when to find the signals of something. Um, you could basically tell based off of the tone of laughter. Uh, it sounds a little bit different than the room. Because it's like, so one of the reasons I love editing this show is you can find those small little changes and someone did not spend enough time trying to match the tone and the sound of the room. Um, yeah, you know what? Let's get a room tone really quick in the middle of the pot. And <laughs> I, I know I know this is an audio format, but I am holding an imaginary boom mic. Sound check, sound check. <laughs> I'm getting a buzz. Um, but no, in... In all honesty, like, I know this was an ode to Seinfeld of sorts. We've seen this been done super successful. But, like, imagining that this was the first time that any of you saw this, what were your initial thoughts of seeing John Mulaney just starting off with stand-up? I, I, I thought it was an interesting choice because it was material he had burned already. So, in the for, for people who don't know the concept of burning material is if you're going on The Tonight Show, you bring five to eight minutes worth of stand-up that you're comfortable not doing ever again, not ever recording again, not doing in clubs ever again, because a lot of people are going to see it. So this is material that he's already done. And I don't know, because Seinfeld kind of came up in the era of the like HBO comedy half hour and stuff like that. I don't know how many people were already familiar with him that weren't already part of like that weren't going to shows in New York, if, if that makes sense. Like, this is kind of like taking a comedian that's really big, already up and coming, but kind of only in the comedy world. And compared to now, Mulaney has already put out two specials, one of them on Netflix, I think, at this point. And Netflix yeah, is new in, in town. Like, yeah, yeah, new in town. And then it was Comeback Kid was coming out, I, I think, yeah. a year later. Yeah, that came out after the show. We'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he, this is already a material that he has done on Netflix at kind of a peak growth point of Netflix where people have already, people are logging in, they're making accounts in droves. 
So that's where I think it, it, it works a lot less. Well, even beyond just the special on Netflix, this is a point where you could share clips on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. I first Twitter. found Mulaney yeah. material was just like going through YouTube and finding sets of his, uh, you know, finding his Conan set, finding stuff from Comedy Center Presents. Uh, you know, you had that exposure already. So if you're a fan and you're tuning in, you've probably seen this all before. Now, I, I do get the choice of if you're going to focus on a stand-up comic and you're playing into 90s multicam to throw out the most obvious homage you can. Um, and I will say that I, I did like the choice to do it in front of the show set versus doing it in a club. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that if you did it in the club, it's like it's totally just copying what Seinfeld did. But at least it also shows that like, uh, like we're getting an insight into like the show itself. Like here he is like warming up the crowd. This yep. is John. Like mm-hmm. it, it makes him feel a little warmer than like that connection, like of like the distance of seeing someone on stage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no two ways to go about it. You see this and you just think Seinfeld. Yeah. 100%. And, and like, I, I feel like you are fighting a losing battle when one of the main executives who's promoting your show is saying it's Seinfeld, right? Because you're fighting these, just like this gigantic mountain of a reputation of Jerry Seinfeld and probably one of the most successful sitcoms ever. Like, if not all time, you're talking about a behemoth of a thing. You know what Seinfeld did not have, though, that John Mulaney did Oh, have? are we going to talk about the thing I wanted more of in this pilot? Uh, I think we are, and it's going to be Ice-T letting you know that the show is filmed <laughs> in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> now, I, I, this did bring me to my first question for both of you, which is, who would you like to have do your voiceover for your... Max, you said you wanted a TV show. Who's doing the voiceover to let us oh. know it's in front of a live studio audience? Okay, well, first off, I'm only doing single cab. Get this <laughs> out of my face. <laughs> uh, this is FX for Hulu. It's single cam, and we're shooting it about $4 million an episode. Um, <laughs> no, I I want Richard Kind yelling at you that this oh, was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Oh, that's real nice. I'm... You know, I know he's already pretty busy with Never Have I Ever, but I really want John McEnroe to do mine. Um, I'm going to say Peter Dinklage, uh, because boy, does that man have a voice. Um, If you do not (laughs) remember, he was the sexy voice man on Seinfeld uh, over the phone. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's a great voice. Uh, speaking of great voice, Peters would also say Peter Frampton telling you with the talk box. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell Singer still did front of a live studio audience. Um, well, after we get that amazing voiceover, I am so sorry to tell the audience that's the only bit of iced tea that we get in this pilot. I wish there was more, but there's another they got celebrity loan from NBC. Yeah. There's another celebrity cameo. I can't wait to tell you who it is. You'll never guess. Um, But we are in a doctor's office waiting room um, with John and Motif. And John is trying to get a prescription for Xanax because he is anxious. Um, Which is... What a a great joke when I heard it the first time in 2002. 
possibly on Friends. I don't know. Was Friends still on in 2002? Time it, is... It, it was, but this is already... We're about 30 seconds in, and this is the second example of material that is directly word-for-word word lifted from Mulaney's stand-up. This yeah. is his entire closer of New in Town. And unfortunately... Hearing it spoken in the way that people converse and have natural dialogue is not as fun as when he does it on stage. It's his big closer an hour into his set. That's the interesting part of this show is they like part of John Mulaney's charm is his wild delivery, right? He delivers a joke. You you almost call this this circuitous way of delivering a joke. Mm. Um, And by making it into straight conversation like a normal human being would talk, it takes away almost all of the comedy of it, which is just such an interesting choice that 100% was an executive saying, too much flowery language, get to the fucking point. Yeah, and if, if you've seen Milady live, he he works the, the mic cord and he whips it around and he has this very uh, like classic theatrical stand-up delivery that he does um but it turns out he can't speak like a human being (laughs) in real life uh somehow this is multi-cab uh but where all of the cameras are are cue cards for john mulaney because he's he's looking every which way there's no life behind the eyes uh he just has zero personality yeah. So, <laughs> R- Rich, <laughs> Rich, go for it. Uh, okay. So, I really, I know he's a better actor than this. I, 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 I'm positive this is kind of the result of there are a ton of cooks in the kitchen. I do not have a lot of control over what's happening here, and I am now an actor in something that I should be writing. And this is not the. Okay, if you had never heard of John Mulaney before you watched this show, then yeah, this is for you. This is, and I know that's the majority of people in the U.S. who could possibly be the audience for this. I'm not going to knock that, you know, people hadn't heard of John Mulaney in 2013. This is going to be an introduction to them. But, I mean, it is a little crazy that on a network TV show, the first bit is about him lying to a doctor to get uh, to get Xanax. Like, I mean, it it is like, it's quite a choice to be so cavalier and, and goofy about it. Because it is like, it's actually a crime. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there are like, so I don't want to just focus on John Mulaney not being able to talk about his joke or talk like a human being or not reading cue cards. Because there's more to the show than that, surprisingly. Um, he so he's not just having a conversation with himself. He's talking with his one of his roommates, Motif, played by Shotton Smith. Um, I actually sort of liked Shotton Smith seemed more like a character that I could see on this sort of show or follow mm-hmm. for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to hesitate from comparing people to characters on Seinfeld, but I'm going to compare characters to Seinfeld characters. Motif plays the Kramer role a hundred percent. He's very much the wild card. Mm -hmm. I did really like the problem bitch joke uh, of like, I have this joke and it's just problem bitch. And then he doesn't know what the joke is because I think that that is, it's his, these pretzels are making me thirsty. (laughs) 
Yeah, but it's also, like, it's such a quality, like, peek into the idea of a stand-up coming up with a joke mm -hmm. and then working it into something that we start to... That's this, like, joke that's going throughout the entire pilot of, like, the life and death of this viral concept or viral meme as mm -hmm. a whole. Yeah, and if we're going to assume that everything Mulaney does is intentionally throwing it back to, like, an older version of comedy he likes... We know from New in Town that John Mulaney is really into like the old uh, like Def Jam comedy tour. And oh, yeah. he's really into Kings of Comedy. He did a lot of things that were inspired by that in his time in SNL as a writer. And so Motif working out the like there's women and then there's problem bitches like joke device also yeah. does feel a little bit like the like bottom of the barrel version of like Bernie Mac yelling I ain't scared. Um, where it's just like this kind of catchphrase thing that he's trying to develop where it's like, well, I'm not a great comic, but if I can get a catchphrase that I'm known for, then I can get the audience on my side that way. And so I do like seeing like the comic, like working it out, but also who's going to the doctor's office with their roommates and friends? Like who's just like hanging out on an afternoon. Well, and guess what? Motif's not even the only person who's going to be at this doctor's office. Yeah. <laughs> you, you bring up the, the other roommate, Jane. Um, I'm upset that Nassim Pedrad is in this show. Um, I, I know I texted you both this, but I think Nassim Pedrad needs to fire her agent or at least sue them for negligence because mm -hmm. I believe if I'm correct, she left SNL for Mulaney. She did. She followed, she followed John for this pilot. And then this is the result of that, of she got to participate in this. And, like, don't get me wrong, Nassim Pedrad has been in some other great TV shows because she left SNL. Like, she was in New Girl and had a mm -hmm. fantastic role in that. Mm -hmm. She was in Brooklyn Nine... Uh, she was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Had a, a small bit. bit in Parks and Rec as well. Like, definitely has done some things. But to leave SNL when you are at your highest of highs for wow. running into a doctor's office and saying, I'm not crazy and going through an entire monologue yeah. of how you are the ex-girlfriend who can't get over her boyfriend was just so upsetting to me. Yeah. This is a really lazy trope, unfortunately, where it's just like the C. Pedrad plays Jane, the crazy ex-girlfriend. And I, I don't know, this is one of maybe those like 90s sitcom tropes that we could have left, uh, you know, yeah. 15, 20 before the show came out. I feel like, okay. So I, I will say from her, cause it, taking new projects is all about taking chances and it's about risk limitation. You were going from arguably the number one writer at SNL at the time, coming off of a very hot Netflix stand-up special, uh, when the medium is still like kind of in its infancy there, and he, I mean you're he's going to potentially uh, maybe she was involved in the script like when she when it was with NBC when it was like arguably maybe a better concept, um, yeah it sucks in hindsight but she did bounce back like new girl was after that uh parks and rec was or, or a little bit on parks and rec was after that uh brooklyn 99 as well and you know she took a chance snl isn't everything it's really hard for people to come with 
I think it's I think it's difficult as an SNL cast member now to try to find what you're gonna do afterward. That's not going to be like we're uh, he's wacky neighbor and and X Y Z and like you could easily the um the David Spade and Chris Farley route is not there for you anymore. Well, you really and the thing is, it. you look back at the nineties. It used to be you would get your big character. Mm-hmm. That character would become a movie yeah. that Lord would produce for you, and then you just went off and started doing movies. And that's really not the way it works anymore. It's a pipeline. Yeah. So people have left that show for much worse, yep. and also in many cases, the leap of just trying to do the next thing. Yeah. So yeah, all all the power to her for getting the lead in. Uh, a primetime sitcom and running with that. I mean, she absolutely made the right call. It just didn't work out in that present moment. Yeah, yeah. just not this sitcom. Um, just a couple of other things that I had noted down about the uh, rest of that doctor's office visit is we go through the, oh, it's so funny that uh, John Mulaney has to get his prostate examined, um, which I... I'm not going to lie, when the doctor had him bend over, I did giggle a little bit, just in the, like, and it almost felt instinctual to giggle about. Also, the entire bit he burned uh, in in New England. Yeah, (laughs) I I was not proud of myself. Um, But I do want to talk about one of the next scenes, which is meeting with Lou Cannon, right? Um, Guess who I forgot was in this pilot. That's right. <laughs> was it Martin Short? Is it Martin Short? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. Martin Short. <laughs> um, I genuinely forgot Martin Short was in the show. Was it a delight to see him? Yes, because I uh, I love Martin Short so much. Um, it just, I could watch anything with Martin Short. Yeah. And I will say his scenes were a highlight for me because you have this veteran actor Mm -hmm. who can take garbage and turn it into gold playing this, you know, self, uh, involved. I don't even know what he's doing. Is he a game show host? He's a game show host. Self-involved game show host. Who's just eating up the scenery because I think Martin Short is the only one who knows what he is doing on this show. Yeah, he's absolutely playing to the rafters. He has that multicam like playing to the back of the house sensibility about him. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, he is working with some drab material. I believe the first time we see his character, he just says the word hashtag as a punchline in this scene, which is really unfortunate. Uh, But he also does have some delightful (laughs) lines. Um, he says the phrase, I have a daytime Tony here, yeah, which was, is one of the few I times that, that I, I did really laugh. He, Martin Short hits Mulaney's theatrical specifics very well. Mm-hmm. And it's a writer and performer pairing that I would like to see more of in the future. Uh, yeah. In this context, eh, take it or leave it. But like, I, I could definitely see the two of them like working together in a, in a good capacity. Unfortunately, this scene is yet another Bert Milady stand-up bit uh, with his whole, uh, I, I saw an empty wheelchair coming up from the subway yeah. spiel that he gives to Lou. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, like, right, you wish that there could have been a writer's room or something to support John, like, to be able to come up with something new, something different. Like, 
it relying so heavily on his previous stand-up was just something that was so disappointing and hard to watch. But even if you don't make it Milady stand-up, even if it's just your protagonist and everything they do is they kind of pause to tell you an extended antidote, you're not learning anything about them. And I think more than everything else, my biggest problem with this show is that we don't learn a lot about our characters in this pilot. I didn't leave with a sense of knowing who our leads were. I didn't really get anything about John that captivated me to him like as a character in this. Sure. I only got John Mulaney stand-up comic who I've watched at this point. I don't really know a whole lot about Motif apart from his jokes. I don't really know a lot about Lou apart from his jokes. And I think a lot of this is that it's just these like extended takes that aren't uh, giving us any time to really like develop. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Um, and like that, one of the things, so like inevitably I'm going back to Seinfeld and I'm trying to like think to myself, do we ever really learn much about Jerry right in Seinfeld at all? And we sort of do in like small things and small bits, but it's more so about the entire like beauty of Seinfeld is Jerry is a device to see the rest of the characters that are around him. I can't wait to do Seinfeld with y'all because that pilot also is a banger. Um, but also you learning <laughs> who is um, learning what is the behind, how despicable everyone is that is around Jerry and what makes them despicable on an episode by episode basis while also being able to relate to how despicable that is making a show about a bunch of stand-up comedians when the majority of the United States does not know the life of a stand-up comedian is very, very difficult for an audience to be like, oh, I know the trials and tribulations of a stand-up comedian as a whole. Um, but I, I do want to move forward a little bit because, you know, one of the most famous sets in television is Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. So let's go to John Mulaney's apartment uh, where we see Jane and Motif um, celebrating John getting his new job while Jane is going through her ex's possessions. I actually kind of like this scene. I like the Jane and Motif connection. I feel like the supporting characters get better uh, like interactions than John and his friends do. So like seeing uh, like Jane and Motif bend off each other and trying to figure out like what's a like what's a new uh, email password for her ex boyfriend that she won't be able to guess and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like th this interaction is funny and it gives a little bit of insight too. However, Jeff, I'm going to challenge your earlier thought on Motif being the Kramer of this series because we meet a character who I think is the Kramer of and this I have series. a retort immediately for that so okay let's debate <laughs> all right so Max is talking about John's uh weed dealer or drug dealer uh Andre played by Zach Perlman um and Zach Perlman at this time I feel like was going through like a little bit of being like the it guy uh for like a lot of smaller projects in Hollywood like I remember seeing him in a ton of stuff at this time but Andre is the Newman 
of this show. No one likes Newman. That is the consistent thing okay. about Newman. And no one likes Andre. We learn that Jane only talks to Andre at the end of this pilot out of desperation. But that is literally the one big joke of, oh, let's have Andre make the password because Jane will then have to talk to Andre. One of my favorite things to talk about on this show is when there's a really good character introduction line. Like when there's a line that tells you everything you need to know about a person. Um, Desperate Housewives probably is my favorite ones that we've done. Milady has my worst Oh. character intro line <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> which Tell is it's it, it's john looking through the people of his front door and saying i have bad news guys it's andre and then the door opening and andre going it's andre <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah I, I i truly i feel like at that point he would that's kind of like a nod to the nbc script i guess it's just like it, it's like almost like a fourth wall break kind of thing where it's just like Let's give the worst line possible to enter into this character. Well, it's so ham-fisted. It's so over-the-top. There is no show. There is only tell. We do not show Andre. He is behind the door. And then we show Andre. After we tell you that it's Andre. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, after the scene of Andre, we go back to John working his first day of the job, right? At Lou Cannon. One of my favorite, I, I did have a line that I really, or a interaction that I really enjoyed during this writing session of Lou trying to say like, hey, John, you have to write for me. You have to get to understand me. How to write who, in my voice. Yeah, yeah, how to write in my voice. And uh, he's like, this is the interaction. Like there's a joke I did in my one man show, divorce and other aphrodisiacs. Did you ever <laughs> see it? No. And I was just like, that is, it was such a well-written line for Martin Short that, yeah. like, was just missing throughout most of this pilot for all of the other characters. Because it was the one moment where I was like, oh, they let Martin Short be Martin Short. Or, he has like, another one of this where he's explaining how he wants the joke to sound, but he's only speaking in gibberish. Like, he's doing his cadence <laughs> yeah, in gibberish, but he's so committed to it. Yeah, no, this is, like, this is the Martin Short scene. Like, if you're trying to sell someone, like, hey, you know, there's this great supporting performance by a legend of, like, stage and screen. Like, this is the scene you're trying to sell them on. Yeah, this is actually a little bit of a nod. Uh, like, I feel like his character in Only Murders in the Building is a little bit of a nod to this, too. Like, or in the same fa- in the same fashion. He probably wants well, to that, forget about this uh, part of this In that, too. It's it's like a old-timey, over-the-top theater producer. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Martin like, really down on his luck. Plays these like yeah, down on his luck, you know, over the top villain types. Yeah. yeah. Um, during this entire interaction, though, so because John got the job, right? Motif had to go and Yay. take his cruise line gig, uh, and we get to see the problem bitch uh, joke take off uh, wow. because of his. I, I know it. It really just absolutely. <laughs> The epicenter uh, of of comedy. What happens on the cruise, you'll hear about everywhere tomorrow. Rich, you, you lived in New York for a little while. Did you ever see a comic on a Hudson River cruise? Uh, not one that I wanted to talk to. <laughs> 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 um, but after this brief, like, seeing that this joke and the continuation of, like, seeing how a do- joke develops and dies, 
we go back to John, uh, who then is talking to Lou, and Lou is just like, hey, I'm not using any of your jokes today, but I want you to open for me at this big breast cancer walk. Um, there's a small joke there about why it's named after the person it's named after, and that is because he thought it would be funny if he named his hairdresser that. He named the foundation after his hairdresser. Who is still, still alive, alive and didn't suffer from cancer. Yes, because it was a great joke. Um, but then we just sort of leave that scene as a whole and go back to the apartment. Did Anything that you guys wanted to center on that I well, might have missed? All of these scenes, and it, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the way you kind of like winced at the end of that joke, uh, Jeff, that like none of these scenes really have a strong enough line to go out on. And it's weird that Mulaney or Martin Short or... Uh, I just found out that this is directed by extremely famous pilot director, Jimmy Burroughs, um, who did, you know, every friggin' pilot under the sun from Cheers to Frasier to Friends to Google and Grace, etc. Um, you know, I can't believe none of them stopped this to say, hey, maybe let's ad lib something to try to get a bigger laugh at the end. because Nothing segues into anything else. Yeah, like, no. it's hard to tell when a scene begins and another, like, or, like, a scene ends and another one begins. Yeah, and, and also, like, okay, so uh, after listening to an interview with Jimmy Burroughs, and he's, like, a really fascinating guy. I really, I really love his method, where, it, okay, this is specific to Will and Grace, but he would, because there's a live studio audience there, because they're all warmed up, this is like that's that laugh is so crucial. You really need to hit it to get that laugh live in the moment. He would shout out if he could see a if he could see a actor on Will and Grace in the process of flubbing a joke. He would yell over them so they would have to redo the uh, the set so he could set that joke up again for an actual mm -hmm. real laugh. So he would in on purpose fuck up in a scene, and I just don't understand why that didn't work here. Because I have to imagine that's still his process of doing that. It's like if you know a joke is not hitting well in the room, you gotta redo it. You gotta find something else that's gonna hit, and that and that sucks that they had to ADR laugh a Jimmy Burroughs show. I just think to get to that point you're describing, though, you have to like build momentum. And what I feel like kills momentum here is, like I said, there's just big chunks of talking mm -hmm. as opposed to like building a rhythm yeah and then also i feel like we just cut back and forth a the, lot between yeah, we're, scenes we're doing we're trying to fit a lot of stuff into 22 minutes of the show the show crams a lot of plot points in there's entire characters we haven't even gotten to yet in this pilot yeah like, yet we yet we don't get anywhere it's so much pilot yet no pilot yeah so like we do go to the charity walk guess what John is set to open. Um, Jane is there to go and look at her ex-boyfriend's apartment. Um, and Lou Cannon's not coming to the walk, but they have a cardboard cutout of him that people can take photos with for, I think it was $70 or something like that. That's the big joke. And for some reason, John is super upset that this is what his life has come to at yeah, this point. Yeah, the big jokes here are the cardboard cutout and then a callback to the doctor's office where John gets uh, 
his like arms knocked out from under him by the sound guy trying to take off his mic. Oh, because and uh, the doorman sees him because we missed talking about how the door John's first person he talks to about having a prostate exam is his doorman. Uh, rather, that's what does. It's, it's Martin Short's doorman. It's not even. His oh yeah, it's doorman. not even his doorman. It's Martin <laughs> Short's doorman. What a what an introduction. Um, anything that you guys wanted to talk about as far as the this ridiculous charity walk that didn't need to happen in the show? Well, okay, so you definitely get a doubling down of Nazim Padrad's like very. Uh, like her insanity as a character manicness yeah the crazy (laughs) ex-girlfriend thing of her going and stealing flowers from the block that her ex used to live on uh, because he planted them and she quote unquote didn't want the her him and his new girlfriend to reap the fruits (laughs) of her labor of her planting them they don't get to enjoy those flowers so she is running down the street like a muppet basically covered in flowers i mean i i hate to say it it was not a it was not a very well shot like scene in that in that moment um running up to john with an armful of flowers and dirt and it's just like if they wanted her to be like the elaine character like at least the elaine character had like some self-respect and like wasn't kind of like a cartoon and you know i Nothing about Elaine's uh, choices made her look really crazy. It's just about, like, she wanted to get what she wanted, and she wanted to basically not have to deal with the men in her life, uh, <laughs> like, to, to get what she wanted. And, yeah, it, it, it just seemed like a very big throwaway of that character. I don't know. And I know, I know in Multicam you have, like, your A plot, your B plot, and your C plot. And you follow those three. Obviously, our A plot's everything with John trying to get the job with Luke Cannon. I would say our B plot is probably motif and the problem bitch joke. Mm-hmm. And then our C plot is whatever's going on with Jane and her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And all of those independently like could work in different episodes. It's just so weird to me that this is like the C plot of our pilot is just really one noting one of your lead characters. It's like, it doesn't make me want to keep following this supporting cast. Yeah. It's, it's very thrown together. If that makes sense, like it almost seems like they last minute were like, we need a C plot. What's Nassim going to be doing in this? And it's like, oh, she she can be dealing with the next boyfriend. Like, what a what a really funny joke. Um, but I do want to continue um, just to wrap things up. So we get a couple of odd things that happen. We have them all hanging out at the apartment and we see Motif crushed. He's selling t-shirts that say problem bitch. He's running out of t-shirts to sell. Huge in the Hudson River Cruise comedy uh, yeah. community. John is super sad. And then like that's sort of how the scene ends. But then it's really weird because we're at this point like 15 in minutes into a 22 minute pilot. And then we get the weird Seinfeld opening like stand up set. Mm-hmm. Two thirds of the way into the pilot rather than like at the end or in the middle of the thing at the big first commercial break. It's such a weird interlude. The the Seinfeld pilot did have multiple interludes of stand up. Like they eventually figured out the format. Yeah, they eventually were like getting one at the end. Yeah. But in in the in that pilot, they cut back to him before every act. 
So there, he he does he sets up every act of that pilot. The the format's there. Seinfeld aired like twenty three years prior to this. You didn't have to figure it out. The format was laid out yeah. for you. I know. But after this, we we meet Max. You sort of like alluded to it earlier. We meet a third character, and we like sort of had references to, or a. This is technically like our sixth character. We meet character number six. And we get like references to this mysterious Oscar fellow uh, mm-hmm. who is also is John's next door neighbor. Um, and we meet Oscar, who's played by Elliot Gould, which I also if you thought I forgot that Martin Short was in this and remembered Elliot Gould was in this. You're kidding yourself because I was g- genuinely floored when I saw Elliot Gould in a uh, in a robe. Uh, yeah. In the middle of an apartment building. I feel like that's kind uh, of I, all he's allowed to wear now. I was going to say, I was not shocked to see Elliot Gould in a bathrobe because my favorite movie is Ocean's Eleven, where he spends like 90% of it wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> but a we, we style ha- icon. So, like, the Elliot Gould scene was super interesting because it's sort of like he almost acts as. I don't know if you either of you watched Home Improvement uh, growing sure. up, but. You have to remember the next door neighbor of Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, who we never saw his face, but he was always full of great advice and very seldom in the entirety of the episode. And Elliot Gould's uh, Oscar play is basically Wilson, right? He comes with this small bit of advice about yeah. the Turkish, I think it's the Turkish tea set, and you have to find your Turkish tea set. Uh, and that is like the lesson for John that gets him going through the day and okay with the problems in his life. Like it was just so wildly of a different tone than the show, uh, the pilot so far. The only Oscar role I want to see from Elliot Gould is his nominated one for Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. God damn it. <laughs> and, uh, do you guys know what Seinfeld actually said specifically about this scene? It's cool, Jerry. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Um, So, after we have tea with Oscar, let's just finish things up um, and tie up the loosens. Jane finds out that by stealing the flowers and talking to Andre, her boyfriend has um, said that he would rather deal with a crazy person than a problem bitch, and that is the closure she needs motifs joke um or well let's talk about john first john finds out that lou is using his jokes uh and then we find out that motif is at the end of his 15 minutes of fame because he is being a stand-in on lou cannon's show um (laughs) one final thing i said there was one final uh surprise cameo in this show and it was dean kane playing dean kane on Lou Cannon's show. Um, if you told me that Superman was on this show, I would tell you, you are correct. Hi, Dean no, Kane. Nothing <laughs> says I owe Fox a favor like doing this one particular line. <laughs> uh, Dean Kane thought he was going to be going on Fox News. That's why he did <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, no, he was super <laughs> pumped about it. But that's sort of, that's how this really just unfortunate pilot ends. I'm going to ask, were there any things that we loved about this pilot that we did not talk about? 
Uh, there's two Martin Short lines of dialogue that I forgot to mention. Uh, first is when they're back at his office and he says, I have an Emmy. And if I hold it up to the mirror, it looks like I have two Emmys. Yeah. Uh, that's delightful. Also, him paying John Mulaney at the end of the episode by going, money cannon, one blast, <laughs> and firing prize money at yeah, him. Yeah, you're right. That, uh, that they're just, they're, they're very good deliveries. I think we said this already, but it's like Martin Short feels like the only one who has like a, a real interesting tone. Also, I like it because I want to debate it. Um, it sounds like uh, Jade's ex-boyfriend, his new girlfriend, communicates solely via email. Yeah, What's up with that? That's a wild <laughs> mode of uh, communication between a couple. Yeah, we were heavily um, into the iPhone era at this point. Yeah, this was iPhone. Like, this was Skype messaging. This was Slack wasn't a thing yet. Sure. Maybe even AIM. I don't know. Facebook Messenger was definitely a thing at this point in time. But, like, yeah, that was insane. Rich, anything that you loved that maybe we didn't talk about? Oh, God, loved? I thought we were already going on to the wait-a-minute moments, because oh, <laughs> we got well, some more of those. Lead us into the wait-a-minute moments. What were things that caused you pause? Why did they have Elliot Gould play a gay man? Why did they put him in gay face? What is happening here? They they didn't need to queer-code Elliot Gould. They could have gotten a gay actor of that age if they really wanted I, I'm I just like it's so weird to me that that had to be part of his character. I don't know. Max, what about you? Any wait a minute moments that we didn't discuss? I I mean, there's there's a Milady stand up inception at one point where when he's in the doctor's office doing the whole routine about needing to get Xanax mm. on airplanes, where he then also inserts the material about when he's using public bathrooms, his yes. carnival barker voice. And it's like, we actually inserted like a Milady new in town stand-up bit into another Milady <laughs> new in town stand-up bit. Yeah. I, he also kind of does a fourth wall break there when he literally says out loud to himself, this might as well happen, which is also from the new in town bit, but he says it, it like to no one. So I, I think it was like mildly acknowledging the crowd or breaking the floor. But yeah, I think I think my biggest WTF is just this show's insistence on trying to make stand-up work as dialogue. They're very different writing modes. They're very different lanes. And they just don't naturally translate. Hearing the doctor recite the part of the material that's usually John doing the doctor's voice just feels flat. I, I don't get using this as dialogue it doesn't like really bring me the same joy as listening just to john do these bits himself playing all the characters in his life so as opposed to me giving more time to wait a minute moments mm -hmm. i feel yeah. like we've been picking a lot on john mulaney yeah so before we get into our in-flight question He's i want an adult. i want to give each of us an opportunity to say something that we love about say John Mulaney. Say something nice about John. Say <laughs> something nice about John. Say maybe his favorite thing that he's done since this. Um, because, you know, we do appreciate the man. We might hey, just Jeff, not like can, the pilot. Can you, can you pad your camera slide to the right? I want to make sure that John Mulaney's not holding a <laughs> gun to your head. <laughs> no, he owes me 50 bucks if I say something nice. So... <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I just love all of his stand-up. I wish I didn't have to hear it turn from stand-up, uh, in like word for word into just dialogue, which is like, you know, just keep the stand-up as it is. He's already a terrific fucking writer. I think he like, I, I, I try writing my own stuff sometimes in voices of other comedians just to like 
that's how you like practice and find yeah. your own voice anyways and really it i i will write in Mulaney's voice like it is he really created his own uh speaking pattern he so many people use his own jo- use his jokes his like uh side jokes or like you know uh very very small subtle asides or the way he says something as like a meme speak now you can see so many examples of his material being used on twitter on reddit without acknowledging that it was a Mulaney joke at that at one point like and i think being that synonymous with how people view their own sense of humor now is like a testament to just how funny and, and unique he is. Max, what about I, you? I have laughed till I've cried watching both Oh Hello live yes. at a theater as well as taped on Netflix. I have laughed till I've cried watching Documentary Now's episode Co-op, which yep. uh, parodies the filming of the company original cast recording album from 1970. Uh, I think he has such a specific and unique joke writing set and i am glad that he's also making headway in the voiceover community with things like big mouth as well as his role of uh into the spider-verse where he plays peter porker uh and yeah no i i have i have more positive things to say about him in general yeah and i will say it is there's a daily occurrence where i reference uh his bit horse in a hospital Mm -hmm. uh from kid gorgeous and fun fact if you look close enough at the kid gorgeous at radio city or radio city music hall um you will see my face in the first row of that show oh no uh, on netflix i also went i also went to one of the tapings for that i didn't know you were. yeah Yeah. i didn't know you were new in town well no fun story i'll make this really quick um so I actually was seeing a friend that we all share in the city, and he said, you should go and see John Mulaney while you're in town, because he's doing this gigantic set, you know, multi-day thing. He possibly is shooting a special. Um, We ordered tickets, and five minutes later, our tickets were canceled, and Ticketmaster issued us new tickets, uh, because we initially got, like, 10th row. Our new tickets were center stage first row because they knew the camera would be panning down so you will see a very genuinely surprised i am there uh myself as well as my partner uh, yes if you listen to this at home you might not know this because they don't want you to know but uh Ticketmaster knows what you look like (laughs) (laughs) hot hot people to the front the Ticketmaster policy if you didn't didn't get taylor swift tickets i'm so sorry to tell you they're a failure in two ways we we got really bad news (laughs) If you're trying to get like Knicks or Lakers tickets and you're only seeing the rafters, it's because you're an uggo. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we jump into legacy, we have one more question, and it's an in-flight question. Hey, TV Pilots License. Super pumped you all are doing an episode on the Laney, and I definitely have a question for you. I would love to know from each of you, if you had to have a t-shirt with a two-word call phrase on it, what would that phrase be? Again, a two-word minimum. Would love to hear from you. All right. So there (laughs) it is. If you had to have a t-shirt with a two-word call phrase on it, what would that be? Too thick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No follow-up. Check, please. (laughs) 
Beautiful. But the uh is part of it too. It's like uh and like really pretty cursive and then just like check please. <laughs> Beautiful. How about you, Jeff? Mine would just be what's that with a question mark? Oh god. Because I have terrible hearing. Uh and Fam- famous <laughs> last words too. <laughs> well, thank you for that in-flight question. We'll talk a little bit more about how to submit those. But let's talk about the legacy of this show. Mm. And I just have one sentence. There was one season. There were 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. Originally, the show was picked up for six episodes. And then Fox said, we'll give you the rest of them. And then canceled it midway through. If you're looking to find the show. um, It's really hard. (laughs) We watched it on a non-traditional platform. Um, Name redacted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, may I recommend archive.org because they have everything. Um, but obviously, something is up if Lorne Michaels was invested as an executive producer in this show and Fox pr- actually put the show on and it is on neither of their streaming services. Yeah. Um, with that being said, let's talk about something a little bit more lighthearted. With Rich's Game of the Week. Alright, so we are all big comedy fans here at TV Pilots License. And Mulaney has had his hands in so many different forms of comedy. Um, However, before he started at SNL, he did work for Comedy Central. And uh, it it was a very short-lived job. He ended up leaving. Um, but he is responsible for in and very intertwined into one very famous part of Comedy Central lore. And if I would love, I think Max might already know the answer to this, but I would love to hear uh, if you can guess this piece of John Mulaney trivia right. Um, when he was working for the sh- uh, for Comedy Central in two thousand six, he was tasked with the. Uh, he was given the task of going to Los Angeles from New York to bring back tapes for what soon-to-be-canceled show that no one expected to be canceled. Was it the Chappelle show? It was the Chappelle show. He was <laughs> he was tasked he was tasked with going to grab the tapes from Dave Chappelle, who at that point had made his way to Africa to get uh, to get away from... I'm just saying Africa because I don't really know where he went, like what country he went to. Um, he had gone to Africa to escape from his uh, from his contract with Comedy Central and uh, did not return with the tapes. There is one episode of the third season uh, of Chappelle's show, and then it was uh, subsequently off the air uh, because he fled the country. <laughs> and you know what? You know what show I want to see? Hmm. A young page at a major network who's an aspiring comic who gets sent on a cross-country journey to retrieve, like, the secret tapes of a show that's not supposed to see the light of day because something happened with the controversial and enigmatic host. (laughs) And now they've left the country. (laughs) Yeah, I I really, I think that's a fascinating piece of of comedy lore that he was the person who had to come back to uh, to New York and tell the executives at Comedy Central that Dave Chappelle was no longer in the country (laughs) and and was not honoring the extremely (laughs) lucrative contract they just gave him. That's wild. What a great fun fact. And also, Rich, thank you for that little bit of trivia. You're welcome. Um, Congratulations on getting it right. I'm so proud of myself. I was on a bit of a cold streak. Um, (laughs) 
So today, instead of asking, could the show be made today? I want to ask you, would you believe if John Mulaney could do it over again, that he would get the competence of an NBC or Fox to do it right this time? And would you watch this current version of the show past this one episode? I have a hunch that we're all going to answer the same for that question. Um, I I do think if he really wanted to give it another shot, someone would be able to help him do his original version of breaking the mold or breaking the the format of doing a multicam sitcom. Do I think that is necessary on a network right now? No. I think you would probably end up doing it for some other network. But, I, you know, hearing Max describe the NBC version, I want to see the NBC version. I don't want to see any more of this. And I have to imagine you guys are about to say the same. I think he's done so much with Netflix now, headlining their Netflix is a joke festival, doing sack lunch bunch for them, having all the specials. Yeah, it, it was it was really good seeing him uh, headline the, the fabulous forum out here in L.A. for Netflix is a joke. Uh, sack lunch bunch i think that whatever he does next is going to be whatever the next interesting thing is to him i think that he's had his crack at doing the multicam that he grew up on uh i and i don't think he's gonna go back to that yeah and what i'll say is i have no interest in watching any more of this show um i back in 2014 gave this show a shot. I was an apologist for this show of, oh, the pilot is rough. Uh, maybe there's a shot that the second episode would be good. Yeah. Oh, the second episode was a little bit rough. Maybe the third episode will be pretty good. And that continued through every episode that aired. What I will say is, I think John Mulaney has done a lot of evolving since 2014, and there have been many iterations of John Mulaney since 2014. And my hope is that one day when he is feeling the creative need to write and produce his own show, um, that he's given the chance to do it in his own vision and not having external forces stray him from his path, whatever that may look like. With that being said, as our plane is coming to a land and we're being given those signals, where can we find either of you gentlemen? You can find me watching the uh, classic John Mulaney written SNL sketch Rocket Dog with Tracy Morgan on YouTube on repeat. And then you can find me on social media uh, at Maxwell Singh. Uh, you can watch me basically getting a bar mitzvah by watching Oh Hello for the nine for the 90th time. It has reinforced my Judaism. Uh, and <laughs> you can find me at uh, Damn That's Rich on Instagram. You can also find Max and My Comedy at Dad Wagon Comedy on TikTok. And I think we're also trying to make a TikTok for the podcast. Stay tuned. Yeah. And you can find me re watching the documentary now co op episode. Uh, you can also find me on social media at run Jeff run on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV pilots license on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV pilots license. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, you can email us at TV pilots license at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. 
Make sure to watch out for our Instagram for sneak peeks, as well as for looking for questions or our in-flight questions. Um, with that said, the plane has come to a land. The seatbelt sign is off. We look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again. And until then, see you soon.